Let's pray. We'll be in Acts chapter 4. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to gather this men, with these men this morning and continue to uh, discuss the idea and the topic of uh, that we all fail, the reality that we all fail, but as people of God and followers of Christ, we want to fail forward. And uh, God, we thank you that that means grace uh, that abounds in our life. That means your mercies are new each and every day. And so, God, if there's a, a man on this uh, Zoom call that joins us this morning or in person or even listens to the Men's Bible Study podcast later because they couldn't be here, if they are in that season of life where they need your grace, uh, I pray that you would give it to them uh, and let them know of your forgiveness, but also uh, the opportunity for them to move forward in their faith and celebrating your grace and your love in their lives, but also a willingness to share it with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. As we've been looking through this, we'll be back in uh, Acts chapter 4. We've been looking at this idea the last couple of weeks that when we fail, we want to fail forward. We've looked at Peter's life, uh, that he was bold and prideful and arrogant, and it ultimately led to his failure uh, as he denied Christ three times. Then Jesus showed up in his life and simply asked him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responded, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus put him back into leadership. And then we saw that he assumed the leadership of the disciples. They elected a 12th disciple. And then one week, if you miss this, uh, we talked about what about the guy that wasn't chosen? You know, sometimes it's not an easy thing for us not to be chosen. And you had two men that had been with Jesus uh, in Acts chapter 1. They had been with Jesus from the very beginning. And there were two of them were put forward. Only one of them was chosen. But the one who wasn't chosen still went on. Uh, to do something great for God. And so guys, if you've been in one of those spaces in life where you feel like you were the one that wasn't chosen, God's still got an incredible plan for your life. But then we saw Peter and John begin to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we looked at last week. And it takes a little courage to do that. And here's where we ended. If you're in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. This is where we ended last week, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, and we're going to read uh, a little bit following. And Paul, uh, 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 Peter and John had been sharing the gospel. And the political elites of their day didn't like it. And they called them before them, the Sanhedrin, kind of, a, uh, kind of looks like our Senate. They set them down for their Senate hearing, their Sanhedrin hearing. And they said, by what name do you preach? And they said, by Jesus and Him alone. It just threw them into a fit. And then when they came back, here is exactly what Peter and John said in verse 12. They reminded them that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And that's where we ended last week. We ended with two questions. One, have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I didn't ask if you had ever gone to church, didn't ask if you grew up in church, didn't ask if you went to vacation Bible school. Uh, when you were a, a child, I asked, have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Because salvation is found no one, nowhere else. It's not found in a church. Uh, it's not found uh, in some sort of organization. It's not found in good works. It's found in one person and one person only. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, and you look in the original language, that means no one comes to the Father except through Him. 
Then the second question I ask, are you willing to stand courageously for that faith and for that belief? And the more we go on in our country, regardless of how this election turns out, I want you to know we are becoming more and more divided as a country. And it's going to require more and more boldness and more and more courage to stand with Jesus Christ. That I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That I am willing to proclaim that message that salvation is found in no other name. And then we talked about the reality is this. Is that if people reject us, make them reject us because of what we believe. That Jesus is the one and only Son of God. He's the one mediator between God and man. But don't let them reject us because of our bad behavior. See, it's one thing to be rejected because of what we believe. It's another thing to be rejected because the way we behave, that we're crass, we're angry, we're bitter, uh, and we don't ever want to be that way. As followers of Christ, we don't ever want to be just jerks. Now, I'm also saying don't be weak. Because part of what we're going to see right here today is it takes courage to stand up for Christ. It takes courage in your office to stand for Christ. It takes courage in your neighborhood to stand for Christ. It takes courage to stand for Christ when someone begins to question you about what you believe and and why you believe it. It takes courage to stand up for your faith and share with them exactly what you believe. And so the Sanhedrin looked looked at Peter and and John and they said, Listen, uh, we want you to stop preaching. And notice what happens. They, um, they didn't obey their authorities. Are there times in our lives when it's okay to, to participate in civil disobedience? Absolutely. There absolutely is permission in Scripture for us to civilly disobey our government. Now, uh, those examples are few and far between. Uh, it, it, we don't have permission in Scripture to arbitrarily choose uh, to follow one speed limit and not another one. That, that is not an issue. We don't get a chance to arbitrarily follow some laws and not other ones. But where we are absolutely given permission to disobey the government is if they tell us not to preach Jesus. And so notice what happens as they come out, verse 13, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, when they saw, after they had said there is no other name, by which man could be saved. Notice what it says in verse 13. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note of these men that they had been with Jesus. You know, as we think about uh, having a little courage for our faith, I see three things right here in this passage that we want to be markers of our lives and our hearts. I see three things right here. First of all, notice, they had courage. They had courage. The second thing, um, they didn't rely on their education. They were unschooled and untrained, and it didn't require a seminary training lesson for them to be used by God. So if you are sitting there somehow, some way, saying, God can't use me unless I go to seminary, I want you to know that's absolutely not true. I'm not anti-seminary. Uh, here's the third thing. It says they had been with Jesus. So for us today, those are the three ideas I want to talk to us about. Do you have courage in your faith? Are you willing to be used by God regardless 
of your knowledge of God. Now, we always want it growing. And then thirdly, when people look at you, do they say, now there's a man that's been with Jesus. Let's look at the first idea first. Man, the courage that we need. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, talking about the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, when they looked at them, when they began to preach, and they didn't like it, they saw their courage. You know, that word courage really means this, the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face some difficulty, danger, or pain without fear. That's what the dictionary definition is. I would submit to you uh, that, that that's probably not a great definition. And the only part I would question is without fear. Because if you listen, uh, if, you've ever, if you're like me, you're kind of a historian. Uh, if you read about men who were in battle, whether it was a World War II story, World War I story, Vietnam, and some of the heroes, they never say they weren't afraid, right? They said they were afraid, but they went on. Why did they go on? Because of their duty, because of their orders. Uh, they were just willing to hang in there a little longer. They were willing to stand in there a little longer. Guys, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's overcoming it. And so that's where you and I need to understand if we are going to be the kind of men that are courageous in our faith, we don't have to live lives in our faith where there is no fear. But instead, we need to live lives where we are constantly overcoming our fear. Now, if you take it in a military setting, what allows a soldier to overcome their fear? Uh, take it in our current law enforcement setting. What, what allows uh, someone in the law enforcement to overcome certain fears in their life? It's their training. It's their diligence, right? It's a mindset that here's what I need to do. Here's what I, how I need to respond. And that's where you and I need to understand. We need to constantly prepare ourselves. Constantly prepare ourselves to stand for the faith. If someone has just absolutely in your past at some point eviscerated your argument for Christ, I mean, they've taken you out. Your response as a follower of Christ and a follower of God shouldn't be, well, I'm never going to talk about my faith again. No, your response should be, I'm never going to let that happen again. So what should my response be? To learn to defend the faith. That's what Peter tells us, that we need to be as men always prepared. Why can someone in the military do something that is courageous? Because they are prepared and willing to take on the fight. For you and I, we need to be prepared to always give a defense for the hope that we have in our lives. Now, when we do this, remember those words, that it would be seasoned with salt and grace. See, showing courage doesn't mean that we're belligerent, doesn't mean we're jerks, but it does mean we stand firm in our faith. And so as we think about it, it says when they saw the courage of these men, synonyms for courage, bravery, determination, endurance. I love this word, tenacity. I love that word, tenacity. Whatever you need to do, whether it's to be successful, whether it's in your job, in your family, in your relationships, in your friendships, serving at the church, or even sharing your faith, we need to show a little tenacity. 
We need to show some tenacity. I, I grew up, I had a, a coach uh, when I was in, in Little League. Uh, he, he, he would always sit there uh, and he would dip snuff. Remember those little silver cans of snuff? And he would take this snuff out. and we, I mean, just the thick snuff and he'd stick it. So he always had a big thing on his lip. And, and he would always tell us when we were on the baseball field, if things weren't going well, he used to tell us, bow your neck, boys. Now, i got to be honest with you. I had no idea what bow my neck mean, meant. Anybody know what that meant? Just bow. What they were doing is don't quit. You know, he was saying, bow your neck, boys. Bow your neck. Uh, now, that didn't help you field a ground ball if you couldn't catch it. didn't help you hit the ball had you not practiced. But what he was saying is don't become a people who quit on your faith or quit in arguments or quit uh, trying to share your faith or quit growing in your faith. Why? Because we need some tenacity. I mean, I can only imagine had Peter, Peter and John been like many of us today when the Sanhedrin said, listen, don't share your faith anymore. If it wasn't Peter and John, if it was us, would we have gone on and looked them in the eye and said, this Jesus whom you crucified? There is no other name under heaven and earth by which we must be saved. That's courage. So guys, if we're going to be the kind of people that God wants us to be, we're going to have to demonstrate some courage. Beyond that, if you, it, it, there are going to be times when you feel like you are outnumbered. There's a story in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, you don't have to go there. I, I tell you what, go to, go to one verse, and, and we'll get there here in a second. Go to one verse because I want us to read this verse. And it's 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, verse 12. 2 Samuel chapter, 12, uh, verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 12. It's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 12. David, Saul has died. All right? And, and David has heard that the king of the Ammonites has died. They were not necessarily friends. And so David has heard that this king has died. And they're not friends uh, of Israel. And, but David says, hey, listen. Uh, he takes some guys. He sends them up to this son whose father had just died. He's taken over the kingdom. And these guys go up there and they're going to offer their condolences. They roll in to offer their condolences with good hearts and with good encouragement from David. David said, listen, he showed compassion to me in my days of distress. So whether we're friends or not, go up there and tell them we're sorry about your father's death. Well, what happens is David's men, David appoints a couple of men, they roll up there, they walk into the city, and they say, what are y'all doing here, you Israelites? And they said, we are here to offer the king condolences because his father died. And his father had been compassionate and caring to David. Now, if you look back in this story, there's really not a lot of example. There's no explanation for what this king did for David, except for if you look back a couple of places when David was serving Saul and then all of a sudden Saul was trying to kill David, remember that, over and over again, David would run over into this guy's kingdom. And so my guess is it's one of those things that uh, the enemy of my enemy becomes my friend. How many of you have ever heard that statement? So at some point, my guess is this king hated King Saul he knew Saul hated David, so he gave David some respite. 
So because of that, once he died, David sends these men up into this foreign city and says, hey, listen, go offer my condolences because this guy's father, who just died, had been kind to me. So these guys show up and they say, listen, David sent us and we want to offer you condolences because your dad was kind to me in a day. Their radars go up, the men who lived in the city, and they begin to question David's motives. You can go read the whole story in 2 Samuel chapter 10. The guy said, hey, David's not here to offer condolences. They're spying out the city because they're going to come and attack us. And so if you want to go read a funny little story that turns out the right way, here's what they did. They consulted with the king, the David, the, young, the son uh, of, of the man who died. They consulted with him and they said, listen, they're here to spy out the land. They're going to come back and attack us. And they convinced the king that's what he was going to do. Well, David's heart was just simply to send condolences. So they captured David's men. Go read the story. They take their beards and shave them half off their faces. Then they take their garments. Remember in those days, they wore long garments. And cut them off all the way above the buttocks. Now, in those days, these guys didn't wear fruit of the loom. They didn't have hanes, all right? And then they send them back. So these guys that David had basically said, go deliver a message of compassion and love and care. Go tell this new king that I'm sorry his dad had died because he was compassionate to me. All of a sudden, the men become, begin to roll back down. Their, their beards have been shaved half off, and their buttocks is showing. That's what it says in the original language. As they're coming back to David, David gets word from someone. and says, your men have been humiliated. Because let me tell you what, to have your beard shaved off in those days and your buttocks showing... It was a sign of humiliation. They did that to slaves to demonstrate. You can go read about this in Jeremiah. You can read about it later in Isaiah where that's exactly what, when someone would come in and take over a land, man, when they held you down and shaved your beard, that was a mark of humiliation and submission. They owned you. Then when they cut your garment off, where when you walked by, everybody could see your butt cheeks, how many of you think you'd be a little humiliated? And that's exactly what happens. Let me tell you what. So David, in his compassion, hears his men are coming back. The ones that were off doing his bidding, they're coming back with their their, their beards shaved off and, and their garments cut. David hears the words and he says, listen, have them stop in Jericho. See, because it doesn't matter who you are or what you've been through. Even if you were serving the king, David understood that if a man has to walk all the way back into his camp, even if they were doing the bidding of the king, that they were going to be humiliated. And so David tells the messenger, go back and tell them to stop in Jericho. Now, if you know the geography, coming back to where David was, Jericho was the first city on the good side of the Jordan River, the west side. And so David says, tell the men to stop, grow out their beards, 
and get them new garments before they come all the way back to Jerusalem. As I think about that, guys, that's the heart of a leader. That when your men are humiliated, when people have fallen, as people of God, we don't parade their sins in front of others who are the people of God. We say, hey guys, we want to reach out. We don't want you more humiliated than you are. We want you to stay in this city until you get back to where you need to be. And so guys, we want that heart of a leader. We want that heart of David. If you know a man who because of some sin, because of some failure, metaphorically speaking, he's had his beard shaved off and his buttocks are showing. You help him. Give him a new garment, the garment of grace. Let him grow back his beard, a, a sign of manlihood and strength. Because then God can use them again. Now, so David cares about the men who have been broken and who have failed and are humiliated. But then also David says, I need to set the record straight. So David musters his men in Jerusalem and looks at his two leaders and said, let's go tear them up for doing that to us. And so they begin to march up the road, and guess what? This king heard David and his men were coming, so they go over to the Arameans and say, we're about, we might have just made a mistake. That David is fired up. And so they enlist 10,000 mercenaries to fight with them. And they divide up into two camps, and Joab, the leader of David's army, comes right up between them, and he realizes, I am caught in the middle between two enemy forces. You can read all this in 2 Samuel chapter 10. And so Joab stops, and he says, let me take some of my best fighting men. We're going to go against the Arameans. And he goes, I'm going to take the other half of my fighting, fighting men. You're going to go against the king. And then he says this, if I begin to lose, you come rescue me. And if you begin to lose, I'm going to come rescue you. That's the plan, guys. Is that we should always have another brother's back. How many of you understand that? That if somebody begins to fail, we should be on the rescue mission to bring them back. If someone begins to fall away, we need to be on a rescue mission to bring them back. If someone is struggling in their walk and in their faith, our job is not to point at them and humiliate them and laugh at them. If Satan is tearing them up, our job is to go to the battle. And so exactly what happened, you might imagine, is that if you look in this verse here, notice what it says in verse 12. It says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be strong. And let us fight bravely, that's the Hebrew word for courage, for our people and the cities of our God and the Lord will do what is good in His sight. So as we think about the courage of David, see, they've gotten themselves trapped. And David's fighting men realize that, man, we are caught between two battle lines. That is not where you want to be, really. You want to be able to identify your enemy. But they've gotten themselves caught between two sets of enemy soldiers. They make a commitment to each other. I'm going to fight over here. If I begin to fail, you're going to rescue me. 
The other ones say, I'm going to fight over here. If we begin to fail, you're going to rescue me. But at the end of the day, we've got to be willing to fight. And as people of God and men of God, we've got to be willing to fight. There are going to be people that come against us. There are going to be some people, folks, that try to humiliate us. They try to shave our spiritual beards or they try to cut our garments off. And if we're in a state of humiliation, our job is not to parade someone who has sinned and fallen in front of others. Our job is to help them grow back. But then at the end of the day, we've got to go to the battle. And we've got to be willing to fight. And that's what we see. And here's his statement. Be strong and let us fight bravely or courageously for our people and for the cities of God. And then I love that last statement, the Lord will do what is good and right. See, our job isn't to win the battle. Our job is to be obedient. How many of you understand that? My job is to have the courage enough to simply say to God, yes. When you take that back into the New Testament, that's all Peter and John could do. They said, you're to stop preaching. You know, their their response was, uh, stop preaching the name of Jesus, the Jesus whom you crucified and couldn't keep him in the tomb, who rose the third day, and who by there is no other name on heaven or earth by which men should be saved. Oh, that Jesus? We're not going to stop preaching. And so guys, if we are going to be the kind of men who fell forward, we better show some courage. And if you don't have courage in your faith, the world will humiliate you, and it'll beat you like a dog. We better show some courage. The second thing is, guys, you don't have to have a seminary education. Now, I encourage education. I've got an undergrad, two master's degrees, and a PhD. All right? I've got all that. But there are a lot of people that have a lot of degrees who are way less effective than any man in this room. There are a lot of people who have no, no degrees, and they're way more effective than I am. So I want you to know, if you look back to that passage, notice these guys. It says, they realized the Sanhedrin looked down on them and realized they were unschooled and ordinary men. And they were astonished. When people look at you and your faith, what do they think about? There's a dude that's unschooled and ordinary, but God is using him in extraordinary ways. Think about just the life in the ministry of Billy Graham. Just an ordinary dude that was sold out, who made a commitment one day on a mountain in California that I'm going to believe, God, that this is your word, and I'm going to preach it in an uncompromising manner. And God did amazing things with him. Guys, wherever you are in your state in life or whether you're on this Zoom call or whatever, I want you to know for God to use you, you don't have to go spend three or four or five years in seminary. Now, you need to study God's Word. You need to learn how to defend your faith. That's why we're always offering classes. We've got a ministry academy you can go through. We've got apologetics courses you can go through as you learn to defend your faith. I wouldn't encourage you not to gain knowledge. But I wouldn't let your knowledge or lack of some sort of degree keep you from being used by God. 
Because if you think of Peter and John here, it says the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, looked down their noses and sneered at them and said they are unschooled and untrained, and they were astonished. Folks, let me tell you what. The halls of academia would love to scoff at you, would love to humiliate you, would love to cut your garments off and shave your beards. And we got to have courage to stand up and know what we believe and be willing to state what we believe over and over again, regardless of the pressure. So all it took from Peter and John is they had courage and they didn't let their lack of degrees stand in their way. But notice the third thing that they had. They had been with Jesus. If I were to just simply ask you the question, have you been with Jesus? If you say yes, I would just want to know, what does that look like in your life? What does it look like in your life that you've been with Jesus? Wake up every morning, read God's Word, spend some time in prayer, find a daily devotion, uh, you know, be in worship, serve others. What does being with Jesus look like to you? For them, certainly we know they were called disciples that had spent some time with Jesus day by day. He taught them to pray. He taught them to love people. taught them to care about people. He taught them a lot of things. But the beauty of it is that the Sanhedrin realized these guys had been with Jesus. Let me ask you a question, men, if you're married. Does your wife look at you and say, he's been with Jesus? Does your wife look at you and say, he's been with Jesus? Men, do your kids look at you and say, he's been with Jesus? Now, guys, I... None of us in this room, including me, can undo a day of not being with Jesus. Do you understand that? We can't go back a year, ten years, two decades, or more. We can't undo that. But what we can make a decision today is beginning today and every day forward, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus. Then I'm going to stand with courage for my faith. When Satan humiliates me, I'm going to be surrounded by some other men who care enough to put me back together and ultimately put me back in service. Our job is to be strong and courageous, go to the battle line, and then trust God to do the right thing. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that we are men who would demonstrate courage in our faith. God, that regardless of our education, that we would study your word and read it and then learn how to defend our faith. And we, with those words of defending our faith, we would season those words even with salt. And then finally, God, I pray when people look in our eyes, just like they did with Peter and John, that they would see that the men at Cottonwood Creek 
have been with Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Uh, Show some courage in your faith today, regardless of how you've been trained. And then at the end of the day, let everybody say, he's been with Jesus. Have a good one.